Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. afternoon or good night however and whenever it is you may be listening thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the take it easy podcast live on the believe podcast network except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. I hope y'all are having an amazing Tuesday or Wednesday or however and whenever it is that you may be stopping in. It's September 7th, according to my math, at the time of recording here on this Tuesday, and we bring back our great friend of the show, Razor Rosenthal of Beer Life Sports and Beer Life Official. You guys can check out those weekly segments he does now on Instagram uh, because football season is back in full swing and they will be back at it himself, Callie Bundy, and all of the people over at Beer Life Sports. So we'll check in with him in a second, but first, we start off the day over in Major League Baseball, and that means we get to play for the second day in a row this wonderful music courtesy of my man Rob Stone for the Padres rap anthem of 2021. So we've spent a lot of time here over the last couple weeks talking about the teams that have totally faded from contention. Of course, my San Diego Padres, who now find themselves at the time of recording one game up on the National League wildcard. So a regression to the mean. Take a shot if you're playing at home. If you're playing the take it easy drinking game, make sure to take a shot. And the Padres are now back in first. The Boston Red Sox faded, but also they find themselves now firmly in place for the fifth wild card, setting up a Boston at New York one game winner go home that is going to light the baseball world on fire a month from now. And uh, last week during memes of the weekend, we got to laugh again at the New York Mets. New York Metsing, uh, not even about the worst thing that happened to the Mets during the week because their interim general manager, who was replacing the previously fired general manager who had had some sexual harassment 
cases in his past, especially sending lewd photos, I believe is the term that journalists were calling it, which is basically just dick pics to a female reporter. He was fired, and the interim guy was arrested for a DUI coming back from Steve Cohen's house for a charity event. And so now they have to put the interim interim GM in place for the guy who's now on administrative leave. So New York Mets, we were laughing at them, Boston and the Padres. And now we can add the Oakland Athletics to the mix. After many years of desperately trying to be better than the Houston Astros, but coming up short because they spend like three and a half times less the amount of money with fewer resources and the oldest stadium in professional baseball without renovation... The Oakland Athletics have finally faded from the playoff picture. They are likely going to miss the playoffs in 2021, finding themselves three and a half games out of a crowded field for the top of the American League wildcard. Seattle, who doesn't make any sense at all, has won five in a row. Toronto's won five in a row. Oakland has dropped three in a row to fade again. And at the risk of making the same mistake I did with the Padres and not accounting for potential regressions to the mean... I'm going to just come out and talk about the Oakland Athletics fading from contention because Oakland made a number of interesting moves this year, um, especially at the trade deadline when they got Josh Harrison and Jan Gomes and Starling Marte. And it was a really interesting stretch for Oakland because it was un-Oakland-like. They'd been a team that for the past few years had gotten the benefits of having their two star players be on rookie contracts. They let Marcus Semyon walk away, who was an MVP two years ago. I think he finished third in the MVP vote. And Oakland was a team that was like, okay, we're ahead of schedule. We're going to stay par for the course. We're going to make strategic trades because Oakland has prided themselves similarly to Tampa Bay of being the small market teams that are smarter than everyone else as Tampa Bay now finds themselves eight games better than the next best team in the American League and might just run through the playoffs or at least run through the American League until getting to the World Series against probably the San Francisco Giants at this point because that would be perfectly fitting for how this season has gone but Oakland also prides themselves on being a team that is smart about their moves I kind of forgot where I was going with that for a half second but Oakland went through their rebuild after Moneyball 2.0 which was technically Moneyball 3.0 because Moneyball 2.0 was in 2006 3.0 was in 2012 and 13 when they traded for Ioannis Cespedes and then Moneyball 4.0 was 2018 when they got to the wild card and lost to the Yankees. Then 2019 when they got to host the wild card game, losing to the Rays. They won 97 games both of those years and yet didn't have a playoff win to show for it, which is rare in baseball considering that 100 wins usually gets you to winning the division. But all the math around the sport is changing because teams are tanking at higher rates than ever before. And teams are fading quicker from contention, shall we say. So teams have larger, have smaller windows, but they're better for longer periods of time. And tanking makes it so that the best teams now win 108 instead of one year where the best team won like 95 games in baseball or something weird like that. And so Houston's been the totally dominant team that spends big money and makes sure that they can put the best team forward combined with the fact that they 
had a bunch of prospects that ended up succeeding years and years ago. And now they end up finding themselves fading ever so slightly, like it's a very different looking Houston team, but they've prevented anyone else in the American League West from having any chance since like 2016. And it's been at the detriment of the Angels, who for some reason can't sniff the playoffs, and Texas having to rebuild, and Seattle being good, then rebuilding, then being good, all within the span of the Houston Astros' six-year dominance of the American League West. And last year, Oakland finally got to win the division. They were the best team in a 60-game sprint. They had the number two seed. They played at Houston in the DS of the playoffs. They finally won a playoff series against the White Sox, got to play Houston in the DS, and got smacked. Just smacked by Houston. It went four games, but it should have been a sweep. And... That felt like similarly to what happened to Atlanta, who's now obviously in the playoffs now and firmly in the playoffs as the third seed. Uh, well, not firmly in the playoffs. They're holding on against the Phillies, who are on a giant win streak right now. But holding on to that playoff spot in the Amer- in the National League East, similarly, it felt like last year was the best chance for that current Oakland team. And Oakland's been the exact same team for a couple years now. And now they're finally going down a bit, and it doesn't look like they have reinforcements on the way in terms of like top prospects or major trade pieces that are on, that are coming in in the near future. Combined with the fact that they have to decide how and when they're going to extend Matt Chapman and Matt Olson, who have been on rookie contracts and arbitration eligible for much of their careers so far. And so it feels like Oakland is now the team that has faded from contention. And of course, pivoting here only leads me to potentially be more wrong than I was before. And I'm willing to accept that risk because it's looking not so great for Oakland, even if they end up progressing to the mean. Three and a half games in a crowded field in the American League just looks really difficult to overcome for a team that was somewhat believable to be a strong team at the start of the year like they were in the fifth wild card most of the way never really got a sniff at Houston but they were kind of trying to hold on to that wild card but then the Yankees stormed back and Boston faded but not enough because Boston had a nice eight game jump on them from winning the American League East and so now as they fade a little bit Oakland has some uh soul-searching to do here over the next few weeks. All right, let us chat with our buddy Razor Rosenthal from Beer Life Sports here on a Tuesday before the NFL season and after a pretty fun college football weekend, which of course is his expertise over on Beer Life Sports and Beer Life Official. How'd you feel about the college football weekend? Well, I tell you, we learned a lot. You know, I think you look at teams that you had high expectations for on offense. Let's start with the Tar Heel State, UNC Chapel Hill on Friday night. Uh, could not matriculate the football down the field. Pretty big favorites at six and, six and a half, minus 200 at Virginia Tech. That was, I think, a Vegas winner there. I think that the betting public really bought into UNC's high-octane offense, and surprisingly, they played great defense so very disappointing performance by UNC, and i got to give Virginia Tech a lot of credit. They kind of seemed back on defense with that swag. They played a phenomenal defense that game. Uh, Wisconsin-Penn State, I think we, we talked about that on your podcast about 10 days ago, right? You know, one of those mm-hmm. situational games where don't bet heavy, stay away, really difficult to figure out, tough to handicap. 
And that's exactly what happened. I mean, Wisconsin had every opportunity to win that game outright. And I think at times really could have even covered the number, but they just could not pull the trigger on some critical mistakes. What else did we learn last night? Florida State's not bad. Uh, they have a great quarterback, actually. I think, I think Mackenzie Milton will find a way to win games in a very bad conference in the ACC. So uh, not that impressed with Notre Dame at times. Got very sloppy. Uh, very excited to see Florida State look somewhat viable. And then Georgia-Clemson. I mean, you know, Georgia, the difference there was just speed on defense versus a, what would look like, Kyle, a very slow Clemson offense for the first time. I mean, you're not seeing Lawrence in the backfield, ETN in the backfield, discombobulation. Uh, and what we learned is the SEC, 82% of the time, is going to beat the ACC, and that's exactly what happened on Saturday night. Yeah, and Clemson's the team that we think poses the threat, and we're recording this before the uh, the Ole Miss and Louisville game that should be interesting on Monday night between those uh, two same conferences, but a lot of the SEC fans are taking a victory lap on that one because one of their elite programs got the victory against Clemson that they've been seeking for the last couple of years. Now, I guess LSU won the national championship against Clemson, but the fact they got that one was the story of the weekend. And I think bigger than that is what you were talking about, where the offense just was dead, couldn't really move the ball for about two quarters. It felt like it was three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out, punting back and forth between Clemson and Georgia. And if you would have told me Georgia would have won, I still would have thought they would have had at least 20 points in the game to beat Clemson. Not many people would have predicted that score. Uh, you know, I think if you would have taken under 14 and a half and won that game, you would be considered a genius. You know, it's it's just one of those situations where you're, you're seeing a team that will mature over time. Clemson will likely win the Atlantic with no problem but it's going to take some time getting used to these new players. And they're kids. You know, I, I emphasize this as I've emphasized this so many times, whether it's on Beer Life Sports or your podcast, is these are very young people, uh, learning systems. They're 18, 19 years old. It's not easy. So, um, you know, Clemson is a team that I have a lot of faith in to get the job done, and I think, I think they're going to be fine. I really do. Who took a bigger dud this weekend, the ACC or the Pac-12? I would say, oh, jeez, you know, Washington. How about that team? Washington. <laughs> Give me a, Washington I, I, paying $675,000 for Montana to derail their football program. Kyle, it's a great question. Clemson, a huge disappointment. UNC is a huge disappointment, but they lost to another ACC team. So you can almost scratch that. Georgia Tech, terrible loss to Northern Illinois, who's not a very good MAC team. Pac-12s, UCLA gets the win over LSU. I, I got to say the ACC is more disappointing. The Georgia Tech loss was really bad. Uh, and again, you know, you want to see Clemson prevail as if you're an ACC fan. So to me, the ACC looked really bad. Washington brings down the Pac-12. Oregon slides away with a seven-point win as a 20-point favorite. But that's the one that stands out. And USC kind of take cares of business. Kind of take cares of business. You know, it was not a very good performance versus San Jose State. But Southern Cal figures out a way to, you know, crawl away, win by whatever it was, maybe 20 points. But I got to say the ACC, huge disappointment. Carolina, Clemson brought, brought it down. 
Does Miami leave a sour taste in your mouth? Because I know we didn't expect them to win, but they got pummeled. No, it doesn't. You know, Miami is outcoached, outclassed in almost every single position. You know, it was a tough bet. I think I, I said I had a small Miami lean. It's just not a game I would ever play because Alabama – I thought the game script would see Alabama up by 14 or 15 throughout the game, and then Alabama scores that late touchdown, or maybe Miami gets the backdoor cover – Difficult game to handicap, but hindsight 2020 really wasn't. I mean, Alabama never, ever had a chance to get backdoor covered or lose the point spread. Miami is just not the you. You just have to give up on this notion. Miami is a very average team, average coach. They're going to be fine. They're going to compete in the Coastal Division. But I can't imagine anybody should have expected Miami to win that game outright. Yeah, the Miami is plagued by a curse greater than the fact that their school doesn't really invest as much in football as they used to is just ACC Coastal. If you're in the ACC Coastal, you're destined to lose that game eventually. It happened in North Carolina. It'll happen to Miami at some point where they're playing at home against UVA and they'll end up losing or they'll go on the road to Pitt and end up losing. It's going to happen to everyone. The other part for the Pac-12, which... None of these are like the power conferences, and UCLA kind of saves the weekend for them. But Wazoo loses at home to Utah State. Cal lost to Nevada. Uh, Stanford got smacked by K-State. BYU beat Arizona. And then Oregon State lost to, I believe, Jake Plummer's son. They did did against Purdue. And, yeah, you've touched on some some pretty bad losses. Stanford looked like a middle school football team on offense uh, against Kansas (laughs) State. They're horrible. They're slow. That's their biggest problem. They have no weapons. Oregon State played a pretty good game against Purdue. I watched most of that game, took Purdue on the money line, so we came with a cash ticket there. But I, I really think that, you know, you hit on some really crazy games that transpired in the Pac-12. California, the Bears, the Golden Bears, I believe, led 13 or 14 nothing, and still cannot find a way to beat Nevada. Nevada's good, though. It's not a big upset to me. I think California may have been a, a one- or two-point favorite in that game, a big stay-away game for me. Arizona covers the number against BYU in the gambling world, Kyle. Arizona wins that game. So, again, I still look at the Clemson performance as a huge dud. And I also, again, I'll reiterate, Carolina. Carolina could not score against Virginia Tech. And I think if you are a Carolina fan or someone that wants to see someone viable come out of the Coastal Division, Carolina lets you down big time. Because it was in conference, does Carolina end up being the worst loss of the weekend? That's a good question. I think the, the worst loss of the weekend for the ACC or for the whole country? You could go to the whole country. The whole even. country, the worst loss is in Seattle. Uh, that that okay. is the most embarrassing loss for, I think, a team that is somewhat a contender for the Pac-12 North title. Not impressed with Oregon. Uh, we're yeah, not I was going to say, after yeah. Oregon, there's not a whole lot else. It's, you no, said Stanford was bad. Wazoo lost to Utah State. Like, There's not a lot there. Cal yeah. lost. Pac-12 North, probably the number two team preseason, were the Huskies of Washington. Now that probably changes. But you know what? The good news about that type of loss is it could motivate you. It has nothing to do with your ability to get to the championship game, whether that's in Las Vegas or San Francisco. Who knows? I don't know where the Pac-12 championship game is this year. But Washington, 
hopefully we'll learn from this mistake. But they have a big game coming up Saturday night prime time that really hurts probably ESPN and ABC's look out on this game when they travel to Ann Arbor because that is the highlight game of the weekend. Well, I was going to wait a second to ask you about it, but early line says Michigan's a six-point favorite. Do you think that's one that people might be overestimating Washington or Washington comes out and lays an egg or maybe six points in favor of Michigan is right around where it should be? You know, I see a line like that. I saw Michigan really outclass their opponent uh, this weekend. Not that they played anybody really strong. I believe they played Western. Do I have that right? Um, I believe that is correct. Yeah, so we look at that line, and it looks really dirty to me. Uh, That line you would think should be about 10.5, and and it sits at 6. So uh, I don't have to wait and see before you pull the trigger on that game. Washington is probably good. Uh, you have to read between the lines. You have to look at what happened in that game. Was there a key injury on the offensive line, defensive line, that we may not know about it as someone who doesn't study these small Pac-12 games? That's what you have to look at. You have to see if these guys are going to play next week at Ann Arbor. Maybe they they, they got lost in the shuffle with a small injury first or second quarter. Uh, right now, that it, a look-ahead line being 6.5 is shocking. It should be 10, so that I smell a rat there. Maybe Washington is the play. Uh, maybe you play Michigan on the money line to come out with a victory and, and go ahead and sprinkle in Washington against the spread. Kind of like what I said with that Nebraska-Illinois game, you know, Kyle. I said, listen, if you're going to take Nebraska on the money line, you better play Illinois ATS because it, Nebraska cannot be trusted, and, and they proved me right. They are horrible. Well, and then Illinois turned around. I mean, I, we had said before when we were talking about the game, these are probably the two worst teams in the Big Ten West. And then they've kind of proven it now because Illinois lost to someone bad this weekend. I don't remember who it was, but they lost to one of those FCS teams. Yeah, Illinois took a really disappointing loss. And it's funny you mentioned that because I, I, I can't remember who they lost to. I'm going to have to remember uh, It here. was Utah. It was Texas San Antonio. Texas San Antonio. I... Yeah, Texas San Antonio. Aren't they Conference USA? Though? They are Conference USA. Yeah, that is fair. They're not bad. I mean, UTSA... You know, they they score in bunches when they play in conference play last year. So it's not a detrimental loss, but yet it's a loss you cannot take in Champaign. You know, you have to build off of that Nebraska win. Yes, it's not a great win against a very poor Nebraska team, but hey, that still counts for something. You're 1-0 in the Big Ten. You have to take care of business if you're Illinois and Champaign, and they didn't. And, you know, that just shows you how bad Nebraska is and how you really cannot trust them. But uh, this is a good opportunity for Bielema and the Fighting Illini to travel to Charlottesville next week. Virginia is not a bad team. I think think Virginia is a team that's going to finish middle of the pack in the Coastal. But a game that I will not be wagering on because you're looking at a team that Virginia laying 10 points. The money line is too rich for my blood. I don't trust Virginia to, to lay that kind of number but I don't really trust Illinois to cover that number. Stay away game for me. Well, do you have any games that have caught you eye? Your wow, caught your eye. I know it's early in the week still, but anything that's been a a parlay type game or something that you think you would be willing to bet on? Yeah, I really like tonight's game, and we're going to start with Ole Miss. We're going to pair them up. I think with Ohio State. I, I think Ohio State. You know, they, they have a pass rush issue. That, that was the problem last year. It certainly was the problem in Minneapolis on Friday night. 
or Thursday night, I should say. I, I think Ohio State will be fine against Oregon. You know, they'll probably get to Oregon's quarterback. The offensive line is not that big compared to what they had to deal with with Minnesota. So that's their number one deficiency is rushing the passer. If they can figure out a way to spook the Oregon quarterback, they're going to score at will. Ohio State has serious playmakers. They will not lose that game. Can I endorse minus 10? Maybe so. But I, I really like the combination of uh, tonight's game, Ole Miss, ACC versus SEC, track just too much, too much speed. Now, I know Lane Kiffin will not be there due to COVID, but I still feel like the offensive game plan will be in place. Ole Miss will beat Louisville. Ohio State will beat Oregon. Pair them up. It's going to hit. It's a money line parlay that I'm going to endorse. I'm sure it's going to only have to pay like minus 140. But that's how you. That's the best. That's the best odds to win. I think moving into this week, and and other games that that stand out, there there really aren't. Kyle, I mean, a lot of these games are are not money line viable games for me. You know, I'm seeing teams like Navy and Air Force. That's uh, you know, Air Force favored by seven. Listen, Navy's bad. I mean, they really took a beating to Marshall. I, I think that the Navy game plan is is getting a little bit more easy to figure out because the last two years. Navy's been a very average football team. Prior to, prior to that, that scheme has been really difficult. So maybe consider Air Force, who you know has has I think trending up. You know, so is Army, but not a not a game that I love. Iowa State, great game hosting Iowa. Iowa State four and a half. That's scary to me too, though. I mean, you look at Iowa. Boy, did they put a beating on Indiana. Iowa State struggled in their game. Uh, I'm going to stay away from that, Kyle. So, no, I mean, the, the I think the big money parlay that I'm going to have to put in before 8 p.m. tonight is going to be Ole Miss, Ohio State. Yeah, that, that seems to be kind of the trend that I'm looking through the rest of the schedule. Because Ohio State is obviously one of those three programs that we bet to win every game and then we're surprised when they lose. Like, it's... It's not something you go in thinking, oh, Ohio State might lose. You're usually surprised when they're tied against Minnesota during the first game of the season. But I mean, the rest of the schedule I'm looking at, it's a lot of a traditional week one slate where it's teams, you know, 26 point favorites or 21 point favorites against FCS or lower level teams. Um, Miami does have a weird rebound against App State. I know App State was great a couple years ago. I don't know if they're really as strong anymore, but that's a weird one. Texas A&M plays Colorado, but other than that, I am struggling to find intrigue in next week's college football slate. Maybe Arkansas. They've got a prove-it game against Texas. That could be cool, but you're right. There's not a lot of great stuff outside of that. Yeah, I think that App State game is very intriguing. That is a very good football team that had chances last year to beat Coastal Carolina just kind of fell apart completely in the fourth quarter. I think Miami is only an eight-point favorite, Kyle. That's going to give you a money line of about minus 370. I'll tell you what, that's intriguing to me to take the U because of speed. I think coaching is going to be a problem. I think App State's going to give them a lot of fifths, but Miami's a viable candidate to throw in in a money line parlay especially with Ohio State on Saturday. If you don't like this Ole Miss game, consider Miami as an option. That is giving you some sort of value there. Yeah, I mean, Arkansas, Texas. I mean, Texas played fantastic this Saturday. They actually showed up. They look good. So I'm going to go ahead and, and you know say that Texas, though, that should be a neutral game. Good play right there at about minus 180 to minus 200 against, against Arkansas. 
So let's go ahead and endorse Texas as well. I like Texas. I like Miami. I like Ohio State on Saturday. You know, it's interesting early about that Texas one that I just pulled up. Texas is a minus six favorite at Arkansas, but 91% of the early bets are coming in on Texas, which is obviously the big money hasn't gotten involved yet, but everyone is throwing their money at Texas against Arkansas. Well, it's a brand name school. Uh, Arkansas really struggled against Rice. And I don't know if you happen to watch that game or follow that game, but for three quarters, Rice and Arkansas were on track to have basically a game that was going to go down the wire. Rice made a few mistakes. Arkansas finds a way to really just pull away, pull away and win that. But I think Texas looked great. They actually look good on defense. And I think if they come to play, they're going to beat Arkansas on Saturday night. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because I was talking to someone over the weekend about SEC football and uh, they were asking about Arkansas and I responded, I don't think I've had a reason to watch Arkansas football for six years. And I'm pretty sure the only the only thing I've seen from Arkansas football across six years was that one time they faked a fair catch and ran a touchdown back beating them. I think it was North Texas pulled that move on them. That's the only thing I can think of when I think of Arkansas football across the last six years. Well, that's one heck of a memory. I don't remember that, but I'll, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a fake fair catch, and they stopped, and then the guy picked up and ran it for a touchdown after pretending it was a fair catch. It was like a, I think they lost by like 20 to North Texas that game, which was <laughs> the low point of Brett Bielema's Arkansas run. I think he got fired that season, but that is – the only thing I care about with Arkansas football. It's also funny that you mentioned App State coaching advantage because when you said that, the first thing that just connected in my mind is like, isn't App State the school where all of their coaches just get hired like immediately one after the other by major programs? I think I think the coach at Louisville is App State. The coach at Missouri is App State. The guy who had the blocked punt ended up getting a job, but he's probably not there anymore. But or the blocked field goal against Michigan got a job, but I feel like all their coaches get poached by major programs. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, App State coaches have gone on to bigger and better things. App State will outcoach Miami, and I say this because I've watched Manny Diaz be outcoached every single game when it's close or against a great team. It just seems to happen every single year. So I don't I, I don't have a ton of confidence in App State winning this game, but I can tell you that there's a chance that the App State team is going to compete because of coaching, not because of talent. So what's the deal with that with Miami? Because obviously the results haven't been horrible, which Manny Diaz's first season, I think they played in the um I think it was like the Independence Bowl and got shut out by Louisiana Tech. But did. even then, you can like spare a little bit of empathy for the first season and transfers and all that. But last year, they weren't terrible. This year, they look to be at least a top 25 team. So it feels like nobody's happy with Manny in Miami. But also, the results haven't really been that bad. They've just been, you know, kind of average at this point. Well, I think I think there's so much talent in Miami, and I think that's where people are disappointing. But disappointed. But if you take a look at key moments in big games where they've had chances to close, where they've had chances to win, there just seems like there's some horrible coaching decision on both the offense and defensive side of the ball. They shouldn't have blitzed. They blitzed. 
you know, and mistakes on defense, mistakes on offense. I mean, so, you know, Manny Diaz is a good guy. He's, he is definitely a really good defensive coordinator, but I feel like the decision-making processes on key moments watching Miami under his tutelage have been nearly a disaster almost every time. I know I'm being really harsh on this, but Miami has super talent. They are not producing the huge wins that they should be. They're beating up on bad teams. They've done a good job the last two years doing that. But don't you want to see, if you're a Canes fan, compete with Alabama? Don't you want to see them go to a bowl game and annihilate an inferior opponent? It's not being done. And and there are teams that really took great advantage of the transfer portal when it became a a changing of the guard thing in college sports where all of a sudden now you have this access to a whole new talent pool. Miami was great at it. Indiana turned themselves around that way. There were schools that did a great job at it. And for Miami, it got them from, I think, preventing them from being like a a consistent five and seven team year after year. Cause it's a testament to them that they've still been, you know, what feels like eight and four every year for the last decade. No, I think you're absolutely right. They, 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 they do get the talent. They are figuring out ways to put them in Coral Gables. But if you're a Canes fan, you are hungry for a 10-2 and two season, 11-1 and one season. And, and the schedule gives them that chance. You know, they, they don't play great opponents out of conference over the last few years. Today, excuse me, this past weekend, yes, they did. They played the best team in the country. Now they have App State coming up. That's a game you got to win. And then you have to really figure out a way to dominate your division in the ACC. They should do it. They have the talent. They have the and talent. And they just got the largest gift in the world of North Carolina losing to Virginia Tech in week one because everyone assumed that the North Carolina-Miami matchup was going to be for the conference. I think they played like the second to last week of the season or something too. So everyone was thinking that was going to be winner plays Clemson for the conference title. And now – You've gotten a bit of a gift from North Carolina starting 0-1. Well, but can Miami, in a big spot, do you have confidence in them beating Virginia Tech? So, oh, I know. don't have any trust in any ACC Coastal <laughs> team winning a big game. Just not a single one of them can win a big game. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at uh, Miami's schedule. They do get Michigan State. That's an intriguing matchup for them at home at noon. Michigan State looked really good against Northwestern. They play Central Connecticut State following Michigan State. And they have, you know, a typical ACC schedule, Virginia at North Carolina, home NC State at Pitt, home Georgia Tech at FSU, Virginia Tech, second to last game of the year. And they finish up in Durham against Duke. So, again, you, you should – if you're a Miami fan, you look at the schedule and you say, hey, maybe one slip up. No more than that, and we could feel like we're relevant again. But it is Manny Diaz, and it is the ACC Coastal, as you alluded to. I see three losses here somehow. Two weeks in now, and we I think Penn State-Wisconsin was the most exciting game last weekend, and it, it was crazy all the way through, even though it was 0-0 at halftime. But do you have? could you help me find any more clarity on the Big Ten East two weeks into the season? No, I, I, don't, I don't think <laughs> we can. I don't think we can. Uh, going back to that game, Wisconsin-Penn State, I think you're absolutely right. It was the best game of the weekend. I, that, that game had a lot of pageantry when Penn State intercepted Wisconsin with just under two and a half minutes ago, you thought the game was over and Wisconsin matriculates down the field super easily and then continues to just figure out a way to screw it up. 
Wisconsin's offense the last two years have been dreadful. What is going on in Madison? Why can they not move the ball down the field? They used to have no problems with this. Their defense played outstanding. Credit to Penn State. They, Sean Clifford, you know, I hate to use the word game manager, made no mistakes. Just figured out a way to make big plays when it counted. He saw a receiver open, took some shots. It worked out. I think Penn State overall was the better team, and it wasn't indicative of the score. I mean, I, I think Penn State really overall, even though Wisconsin had chances, I mean, Penn State just looked better, and there could be some life in Happy Valley again. This is the weird part about Penn State, because for years I kind of think of Penn State as like being the team that has the running backs and they just run the ball 40 times a game. But then I thought back and I'm like, I'm also used to them having at least a pretty good quarterback for three years at the school, which sometimes it's just the Hackenbergs and the Matt McGloins of the world. But I was like thinking back with Clifford playing and seeing it, I'm like, this is weird because I'm not used to Penn State not having a top 10 quarterback in college football. And Clifford, like you said, is a bit of a game manager. And last year was a lost season for Penn State. And maybe they'll recruit better at the quarterback position. But he's not great. (laughs) That's the part that was surprising to me is that he's not great. He's just kind of – he kind of is at this point as a quarterback. That's right. Well, he took care of business. That's a huge game for Penn State, you know, after a tumultuous season. Hey, I think they're winners of five in a row, though. I know they started off the season 0-5. I believe won their last four in a row in that in that bizarre COVID year of 2020, and now they sit top of the Big Ten standings. I, I want to say it was Lendell White that had the quote about um, someone saying, "If if you need five or if you need two yards, I'll give you four, and if you need seven yards, I'll give you four. <laughs> and that's how I feel like with Wisconsin's offense is if you need. 13 points, they'll give you 17. And if you need 24 points, they'll give you 17. That feels like Wisconsin's offense across the last six years. They'd give you just like 17 points and see if you can work with it. I like that. That is a clever statement there. I, I mean, yeah, Wisconsin, especially over the last two years, if you were taking Wisconsin, you are just scratching your head constantly in these matches against Northwestern last year, against Indiana, inside the red zone countless times, never capitalized, and they could not capitalize against Penn State on Saturday. Well, I guess we don't have any answers yet. I guess we'll check in a few weeks later and see if we've got better answers (laughs) to figuring out the Big Ten because I I don't know what to do with it at this point. The Michigan State-Miami game should be interesting at least to – help figure out a gauge of where Michigan State is because Michigan State's year two of a rebuild, but it's kind of a rebuild because they were under self-imposed sanctions for a bit. Mark D'Antonio's retirement was weird. And so they're, they're technically year two of a rebuild, but I don't know what that rebuild looks like and whether Michigan State is still an elite program either. I wouldn't call them elite quite yet, but it was a great win for them in Evanston. Sparty has a chance here. If they can figure out a way to beat Miami, a ton of momentum going into that Michigan game. What we learn about the Big Ten is this. Ohio State's good, and they're better than everybody else once again. So strap in your buckle and get ready for the Ohio State University to win the Big Ten. It's going to happen again, unfortunately, for those people that are not Buckeye fans. 
Yeah, or for anyone who's really rooting for Indiana to really knock off the big boys. I don't think that's going to happen this year. So It's not happening, but look out for the Hawkeyes. They look good. Yeah, and uh, you you said you were afraid of them against Iowa State, who, you know, Iowa State won – the won a major bowl game for the first time in their program's history and brought back basically everyone for the next season. So uh, we're going to find out this weekend whether it was a mistake for Matt Campbell to turn down the Lions job or Brock Purdy to not transfer or whatever else might end up being the case for Iowa State. We'll find out whether running it back was worth it. I think the best game of the weekend is Iowa-Iowa State. I'm staying away, Kyle, but I hope we get a good one. Is Oklahoma-Iowa State the only game that really matters in the Big 12 this year? Wow. Uh, No, I think Oklahoma-Texas will matter. As long as Texas can beat Arkansas and Texas can beat up on these Big 12 teams going into the what we used to call the Red River Shootout, now it's the Red River Rivalry, I I believe, uh, at the uh, old Cotton Bowl, which now I think is in Jerry's world. I can't remember – how they how they do it anymore? I think they, they I think they still play the game at the Cotton Bowl, but I think the uh, the Big Twelve Championship is at Jerry World now instead of at the Cotton Bowl. That sounds right. Yeah. Um, no, I think I think that game could mean something. But you're you're asking a lot out of Texas to take care of business week in and week out before those two collide, and it usually takes place in October. Do I have that right, or is it late September? Uh, uh, Texas, Oklahoma. I- it's, it might be October this year. I can see. Let's see. Oklahoma schedule for this year. So they have Texas October 9th, and then they have Iowa State November 20th, so second to last week of the season. Oh, wow. That's late. Okay. Yeah, so you're asking a lot out of Texas to make that game special, right? Um, you know, it's an intriguing game, Kyle. It's an old big eight battle that unfortunately is going to be a blowout, and that's Nebraska versus Oklahoma. I, I remember in college, which was in, I believe, 2001, watching that game, Eric Crouch won the Heisman, took Nebraska to the national title game. That was a legendary game between Nebraska and Oklahoma. And what you're going to see two weeks from now is going to be a massacre. And it's unfortunate because I think I think college football is better – and more intriguing when the teams like Nebraska are really good. I mean, Nebraska is a very special place for football. Those fans absorb it as good as anyone. They care so much about it. It's basically the only thing to do in the state of Nebraska, right? The part I've been saying about Nebraska for a couple of years now is that the problem for them is building up the program again is that they've fallen so far that with regional recruiting no longer existing in college football like in the way it used to nebraska is needs people to come play in nebraska and try and be willing to build a program in that way so say you're a recruit from texas well you could go to texas or texas a&m you could go over to alabama if you want to leave the state, you could go up to Oklahoma. Then you could go to maybe Baylor or TCU if you're not that caliber of a recruit. You might go to K-State. That's even closer. And if you're really like down there or trying to go somewhere else, then you know Missouri's at least in the SEC. It's not great, but at least it's SEC versus Big 12. And so that's kind of the problem Nebraska's run into is that they've fallen so far 
that they'd have to convince people to, to build a program, to be terrible and have to live in Nebraska, which like you said, <laughs> Football's the only thing to do in Nebraska, so well, you, you have to yeah. get people to turn a corner. Well, to their credit, they probably have some good stakes. But, you know, you know, I never really understood the move to the Big Ten because you alluded to the fact that these kids going to Nebraska, convincing them to play at Nebraska from the state of Texas, I think was easier when they were in the Big 12 and the Big 8 because they knew that they had a chance to beat some of their high school rivals or high school teammates, right? Well, I'm going to go to Lincoln. You're going to stay in College Station or Austin or Norman. We'll see you, you know, week two or week five, whatever it may be. But now they're playing recruits from the East Coast that are from D.C. and South Carolina and New York. And I don't know. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. It's always about money, right? And Nebraska is such a natural fit for the Big 12. And here we are watching them since they came to the Big 10 have been an utter disaster. And I, I, I wish we can – I know I feel sound like an old man saying this, but I, I really wish that we can go back to restructuring everything that has changed over the last 10 years with the ACC, the Big 12 – the Big Ten, it's kind of a little ridiculous. The only move that I really like, I know I'm going off subject here, is the Pac-12. I, I think the Pac-12 has stayed very steady to their roots. Adding Colorado and Utah, I thought were very natural fits for those two programs, being border states to some of those Pac-12 schools. But these moves for Nebraska to the Big Ten – and other teams going to the SEC, like Missouri and Texas A&M, Big Ten schools like Rutgers and Maryland, there's just not an organic feel for me. But um, this is where we're at in college football and in, in, in college basketball. I thought there was going to be a, a scenario where pre-alliance that maybe the Pac-12 would scoop up those, um, those Texas teams in Oklahoma State and form like a, a Texas division with Oklahoma State of the Pac-12. And I thought that would have made some sense. But I, to your point on Nebraska, I say the same thing with Colorado and uh, Arkansas, which is that if you went back to the Big 12, you'd make a lot less money, but you'd be a lot happier. That's kind of the difference between the two. You'd be happier with not going four and eight and making a ton of money. Like, those programs have been for really since conference realignment. I know Colorado, Colorado's so weird because they have like fifth and sixth places in the Pac-12 South and then magically two division titles. And then fifth, and, I don't think they finished second or third, but they've won the division twice, which doesn't make any sense. But that they've kind of been a similar type case, but at least they can recruit the West Coast. Yeah, I, I think Colorado and Utah have made the best moves. Uh, I mean, and ironically, they're both in the Pac-12. Like, if you look at some of these teams like Rutgers and Maryland, Nebraska, I mean, what have, what have they done to improve their program and given themselves a chance? And I'm sure there's financial uh, variables that, that we all know about or we don't even dive into. But, I mean, what has Rutgers done to help themselves being in the Big Ten? What has Texas A&M done to help themselves in the SEC, placed in the SEC West, in football, or even in basketball? I mean, where does that get you in the SEC? I don't know. I mean, money money talks, and unfortunately, you know, I felt like everything was in a good spot when I was in high school and college, going back to 20-plus years ago. Some really good rivalries are dead. Uh, Nebraska 
and Oklahoma was a phenomenal game. And maybe Nebraska wouldn't be so bad if they just stuck to their roots and stayed in the Big 12. Of those six teams that you mentioned, and Maryland, I, I think Maryland would suck if they were in the ACC or in the Big 10. I think that's a Maryland problem, not a, uh, not a, a Big 12 problem as much. But I think Texas A&M is the one team it's worked out for because sure, you you dump the rivalry with Texas, which now can technically be restarted because Texas is coming over to the SEC. But yeah, you dump that rivalry with Texas, but now you've got this cool one that they play with LSU at the end of every year that seems to be gaining traction because they play the last week of the season. And if you're Texas A&M, you've had some good years. You've been second in the SEC West a number of times. You had Johnny Manziel win the Heisman. You are the only SEC team in Texas. So I think Texas A&M is the one that it worked out for, even if you're willing to part ways with your old friends and rivals over there in the big eight, big 12 era. But I guess the biggest one, Texas comes back. So that changes it for them. But I think everyone else, it's been a bit of a dud. I agree. But let me, let me argue this point. If you're Texas A&M and you stayed in the big 12 and let's just assume that we have similar talent coming in, doesn't Texas A&M compete every single year for a championship with Oklahoma? They get that is to sh- a great point. Yeah. They get to showcase their talent, which has been better than Texas over the last four or five years. They can beat up on them every single year. That's a big deal to those people down in College Station. I know A&M has had success. They have had a lot of fun, obviously, being in the SEC, showcasing everything that gets put on CBS more frequent. Big 12 teams are typically those ESPN you know, games that we don't really watch as much, but I, I think Texas A&M would, serve, would be served better in the Big 12. Uh, I think just like every team would be better served like they were 20 years ago, but that's just me being a traditionalist there. Of course, yeah. And Texas A&M, the joke I'd been making for – Really about like ever since Jimbo got there, which I think was 2017, which an interesting what if is what what if they had stayed in the Big 12, would they have had the money to entice Jimbo to come over to to College Station? But the one that's been interesting for me in watching them is that I've been saying Texas A&M is the team that goes nine and three or eight and four and they lose to LSU, Auburn and and Alabama. That's basically their schedule. They finish fourth in the SEC West, lose to the programs that are better than them. And now by virtue of LSU and Auburn's programs totally self-imploding over the last few years, Texas A&M just kind of slotted right up into that number two spot. Now, when we talk about elite teams in the SEC, we think of, of course, Alabama and Georgia because they've made the college football playoff. But after that, it might be Texas A&M or maybe Florida. One of those two is kind of hanging out right in that second tier at this point now. Well, that's a very, very good, fair argument. And I think Texas A&M fans, if you ask them or survey them, they'd probably say they enjoyed the, the move, the lateral move to the SEC as much as they did enjoy those 12 and beating up teams you know, like TCU and Baylor when Baylor was bad. But, yeah, I think, I think Texas A&M has proven us wrong. If, if you believe that Texas A&M would be a disaster in the SEC, you're certainly wrong. But uh, the Aggies are going to be a team to be reckoned with this year once again. Yep. As long as they're not Arkansas or Nebraska where they're going 4-8 and eight every year, then things are still going all right for those uh, Texas A&M Aggies. And uh, 
I guess Maryland's had a couple good seasons mixed in there. Not many, but they've had a they've had a couple. And Rutgers is finally good. They're they're no longer in the in the same breath as Kansas, which is a place you technically have to get out of. You have to stop being the worst program in college football and and move up from there. So at least they've gotten out of that territory. Now they're just kind of irrelevant, but at least they're not the worst program in college football anymore. No, they're good. Greg Schiano version two is going to be good. They're going to be fine. I think Rutgers is a team that's going to be in a bowl game this year. I think they're going to win seven or eight games. That is incomparable to Kansas. Kansas is still a an embarrassment to college yeah. football. I Kansas mean, they, storms the field after beating an FCS team that is six and ten over the last two seasons. It's embarrassing. Uh, and you know, if you had South Dakota, you win. Uh, they were plus, I believe, eight and a half. Kansas is, you know, at the point of no return. I, I don't. I don't know how bad you could be. Less miles. That that was a joke. That whole thing. That was a, a good payday for that for the Mad Hatter. Uh, Kansas football is a total embarrassment to college football. I watched a little bit of that game, and I, it was it was it was gut wrenching to watch. I just I was watching on ESPN Plus. I wanted to scout Kansas because that's a team that if you're lucky enough to get a good enough money line against, you have to pull the trigger. Now I don't think you will. I think every time they play somebody decent, it's going to be minus two thousand, and you just can't. You just you're wasting your time on that. So they're they're bad, and if you can somehow get a minus 500 or less money line bet against KU. They're horrible. I love that this is becoming the seventh podcast that we've ever done about Kansas football and the history of take it easy. Cause one of my favorite punchlines ever is Kansas football. And the fact that since 2009, so that's 12 seasons. And now this year being 13, do you know how many conference games Kansas has won across 12 seasons? 12 seasons. All right. Uh, the over-under is going to be two and a half. Let's say, let's say two. Oh, that's a little, that's a bit. Cool, <laughs> no, they, I'll, I'll go ahead and say about, I'll go ahead and say seven. That is exactly correct. Yeah, they have won yeah. seven conference games. Only one year did they finish in a tie for ninth instead of dead last place across the last 12 years. Kansas stats. You got to love it on Labor Day. That's embarrassment. It's just, you know, it's actually, it's a beautiful school. It's not. It's a small stadium, but looks very nice. ESPN did a great job of uh, showcasing the, you know, the backstory of Les Miles going there two years ago in their, you know, in their whole ESPN yeah. 360. Mo- yeah, it was good montage. It's just, it's just a program. It's hard to recruit. Yep, especially when you're the worst program. But at least Kansas pivoted the same way Vanderbilt did, where they basically stopped trying to be good at football, and now Kansas just puts all their resources into basketball and Vanderbilt puts all their resources into baseball. So at least they stopped trying to be good. They acknowledge that we're not going to be good at this sport and we'd rather put our resources elsewhere. It's a good business plan right there. That's a good business plan. Save your money, put it where it needs to be, create revenue. Exactly. So at least they stopped kidding themselves with trying to be a football team. Rutgers, Rutgers had a good basketball team this year. They made it to the round they of did. 32. Or, they did. Uh, football and basketball were both pretty good. So maybe they're just turning it around period at Rutgers after uh, 20 years of Rutgers sports has basically been that meme from uh, Austin Powers where he's trying to turn the card around. That's basically just Rutgers for 20 years trying to <laughs> figure out how to be good at sports. 
Well, I think I think Rutgers has the ability to recruit pretty easily in basketball. There's so many great basketball players that come out of the tri-state area. And if you have a good coach that can sell that, then why not? You know, why not keep the kids from New York City, Newark, New Jersey coming to Piscataway? I think it's right there for the taking. And they have been good. They are a dangerous Big Ten basketball team. They have broken my heart quite a few times betting against them. And they've also been great to bet with, you know, against bad Big Ten teams. So, yeah, I like Rutgers. I think I also think Rutgers football is going to be a, a great team to bet on this year against, once again, bad Big Ten football teams. Rutgers is going to beat up on a few of them. Isn't that the spirit of gambling is that they break your heart and then they'll come around and help you out later on, I guess. That's, that's uh, why we do it. Yes, that's why we gamble, don't we? Um, at, just as a parting thought, since I know that NFL starts this week, is there anything that's got you peaked of interest going into week one? You know, it's funny, you know, Kyle, I am more excited about DFS uh, more than anything. Like, I, I, I cannot wait to build teams uh, this week. Uh, just to just somebody throw that out at you real quick. Um, that, that I'm really excited about about building DFS as much as I am betting on the NFL. Okay, so teams that I like this week on the money line, that's why you bring me on. You like to we talk money line parlays with yours truly. I think the one team that stands out will be Los Angeles. You know, uh, Matt Stafford does scare me a little bit. He's always struggled against the Bears, but he's actually on a good team with good coaching. Uh, I think the Rams are going to be part of a money line parlay for me. You know, these are some tough games this week. Kansas City is a team that should win. But you know Cleveland is very hungry after that loss in the playoffs. I mean, that's a scary game to me. Uh, and I, I, I think that San Francisco is going to take care of business in Detroit. I, I think that that golf is just going to be a disaster this year. And I think that the San Francisco defense has improved. So teams that I really like, I like Tampa Bay at home versus Dallas. Dallas losing their probably their best offensive weapon, which is on their offensive line uh, due to COVID protocol. That just came out, as you know, yesterday. Uh, I, I'd say Tampa, L.A. Rams, San Francisco are three of my favorites that I really like on the money line this week. Uh, Buffalo scares me a little bit. That is my football team, so they always scare me. I'm a big Bills fan. I wouldn't touch Philly versus Atlanta. And I wouldn't touch Carolina versus New York. So those are the other the other games that show you uh, present you a minus two hundred or more money line. And of course, Kansas City at minus two fifty. I don't know. Something stinks about that game. I, I just I have a feeling Cleveland is going to scare Kansas City. So I'm going to stay away from that game. L.A. Rams, San Francisco, and Tampa Bay are the three teams I'm looking to pound hard on the money line. Are there anything that you are excited about over DFS? I, I don't play DFS myself, but just some names that maybe will make me feel good in fantasy football or make me feel terrible this week. Make you feel I, terrible. Yeah, because the other teams got them. Well, you know, we have a, a guy named The Professor at Beer Life Sports who we brought on board a few weeks ago, and he's an analytical guy, and he's absolutely phenomenal, and I encourage people to follow BeerLifeSports.com or BeerLife.com, I should say. Hopefully I have that right. Um, and, and look at the professor's material. And, and he likes some good low-value quarterbacks to really build your lineup. And, and one of them is actually Carson Wentz. Uh, so we're, I'm going to play Carson Wentz in a lot of my lineups because that's going to give you a very small price tag. And for some reason, you know, the professor thinks that, that he's going to put up some numbers against Seattle. 
And that's one key guy that if you, if you purchase Carson Wentz in daily fantasy football at a very low price tag, that's when you can get some of the stud receivers and running backs because your budget is going to allow that. So let's all start with Carson Wentz at QB. And if I'm wrong, I'll probably look really foolish. But if we're right, and I'll give credit to the professor, you're going to win some money because that means you are going to have the budget to load up on some superstar wide receivers and running backs with Carson Wentz as your starting quarterback. Does that make you feel better about the Colts this week or make it feel like the Seahawks are going to go up 28 early and then Carson Wentz is going to have to throw 50 passes? Well, I think that's part of his analysis and part of what he puts together is game script of Seattle possibly being up big. But, you know, Vegas doesn't believe that, Kyle. I mean, Vegas has Seattle as a two and a half point favorite. So, you know, if Vegas is anywhere close to their number, this shouldn't be a blowout. Yeah, I'm not, I don't think, you know, Seattle's always solid. But do you really think Seattle has the defense like they used to? Do you, I mean, John, I mean, you, you have some really good offensive weapons there in Indianapolis. You also have a very good defense. I, I think that game's close. But I, I think his analytics are just showing that Carson Wentz can go off on Seattle. And again, the only way you win a contest in DFS, this, this is coming from anybody, and you don't have to be a pro, you just have to be someone who plays the game. You have to pick somebody that nobody else is interested in. And that leads me to believe that Carson Wentz will be picked probably in a tournament by less than 5% of the entries. You're not going to win if everybody's picking the same guys. You're all going to tie. You're all going to share this pot. So you have to go contrarian on one or two players. So Wentz is going to be my contrarian play with all my lineups. I'm going all in on Wentz, and then we're going to build around that. Good to know. I will take note in case I decide to take part in some of these DFS games this week, or if anyone listening to this is uh, interested in the DFS world, because uh, it's we've got an expert here, so we might as well use what his expertise is saying or what his colleague's expertise is saying, one of the I'll, two. I'll say my colleague, the professor. I'm going to go with my colleague. He's the man. He knows his stuff. I highly recommend following him. Yes, follow him and all of the people over at Beer Life Sports, and you can check that out with the link in the description to today's episode. And that is how you shamelessly plug stuff. All right. So, uh, Razor, thank you very much for an extended podcast here today because we got some uh, outside of just the college football talk. We just got to talking about just the world of college sports and relocation and all that fun stuff, adding on an extra 20 minutes or so. And I appreciate your time as always. Always a pleasure. It's Labor Day. We're relaxing. We're watching a little baseball, a little football tonight. Another big week ahead, Kyle. Good luck to everybody that is listening in both fantasy and gambling. Let's make some money. Let's cash some tickets. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.